Welcome back to Don't Call It A Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. We finished up The Sword of Kaigen today. Big ending. A lot of changes. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Do you want to Do you wanna get us warmed up? Yeah, Luke. So I, I want to preface this by saying, if I've done this rant on the show before, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> I... Honestly, this is something that I'm incredibly passionate about and can't believe that I haven't done before, but I don't think that we've done it on the show before. And so <laughs> this is what we want. <laughs> so uh, let me let me just get right to the heart of the matter, Luke. I think if you give gift cards as a gift, you are a bad gift giver. I think okay. a gift card is the worst gift you can buy someone. Bar none. Okay, let me let me first let me take you got two claims here. Mm -hmm. Number one, I would agree with you that getting a gift card means you're a bad gift giver. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of inherent. I think that's like if you're giving a gift card, you're like acknowledging that. (laughs) You're like, hey, I think you eat Chipotle. (laughs) Have a Chipotle. I don't know. I don't know if I'm willing to say that it's the worst possible gift. Worst gift bar um, none. Here, okay. Question though, mm-hmm. when you're thinking of gift card, yeah, what like I feel like there's different categories because you said Chipotle. Yeah, are you thinking like gift card to a restaurant? Any gift card. I Ooh, put them all I in the see, same I category. Disagree. I put them all in the same category. Every gift card is a bad gift. Every single one. Do you want to know why, Luke? Why? A gift card is just an advertisement for a business. Here's what I mean, okay? If I buy a gift card to Chipotle, you know, I'm going to put like a whole round number on that bad boy. I'm going to put $10, $15, $20, If I go and buy something from Chipotle because I have a gift card, let's say I wouldn't have even gone if I didn't have a gift card, but I go because I've got a gift card. I get me, I get me maybe a couple burritos. You know, I'm I'm buying for some friends because I've got a gift card. I get some chips, some guac. Yeah, that's going to come to $18.96. Oh, okay. (laughs) I've got uh, $20 on this gift card. Which means I'm gonna use it, and then the gift card has got a dollar six cents on it at the end. Who? What am I gonna do with this piece of plastic after this? Am I coming <laughs> back to Chipotle to use this extra dollar and six cents? Okay, okay, you're definitely not. I want to give you because I I think that you're you're choosing like. Out of the category of gift cards, mm-hmm. which is already not a great gift, mm-hmm. you're choosing the worst option. Let me give you a counterexample. Give me the best option. That I think might be a, that might be a good option. Go. Got really into uh, specialty coffee lately. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Okay, uh, that's very hip you of you. You give me a little, like, a little like gift card for a uh, really fancy roaster. Now I can now I can pick and choose some specialty beans. Ooh, a naturally processed Ethiopian. Give me one of those. A little sample pack. 
three, four ounces. I'm not going to pick that up normally, maybe with a gift card. I'll take a flyer on on that. I think that that's I think that that could be a good gift. No. If you know someone that's into like specialty coffee, uh-huh. you know, someone that like uh, needs a new workout outfit, but you don't know what size they they mm. they, mm-hmm. they wear. Give them a little $50 gift card to Lululemon. No, there you no, go. no. Pick yourself no. out something nice, but within this category that I think you would like. Trash. Trash. Throw those gift cards in the trash because you have the <laughs> same problem as Chipotle, Luke. You end up with like two or three dollars at the end that doesn't go anywhere. You end up I, okay, with a portion sure, of that like, card that is that is gone. You've just thrown that money right back at the business. You've essentially said to Chipotle, hey, I'm going to pay $20 for this burrito that only costs $18 because I'm never going to use the rest of the balance on this card or Lululemon or whatever. Luke, do you know what you do for somebody if you want to show that you actually know what they're interested in and you want to give them something valuable to purchase things at that place that you know that they're interested in. Do you know what you do? In the card that you give them, you write, here's some cash, go to this store. It's got really good coffee and I love it. Go buy yourself some, it's great. Here's some cash money, some green cash that you can spend literally anywhere you want to go. And then and then here's the note. Here's where I would suggest spending this. Oh, go to go to this nice roaster. Because here's the craziest thing that businesses have figured out how to like get us to spend more money there. You had to go to the store and spend your green cash money that you can spend anywhere to get a little plastic cash money, a little fake kid cash money card that you're then going (laughs) to give to somebody else that they have to go to that same place to spend it. What are we doing? Guys, stop. <laughs> this is fake money. This is phony kid money that you're giving people. <laughs> okay, I like the passion that you're bringing. And I think that uh, I think that you bring up some good points. I will say I think that some of your some of the qualms that you have are a little bit like arbitrary. Like a, a, an extra like $2 that we're wasting. I don't think that that's that big of a deal. It's huge. Um, Luke, 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 Luke. Luke, it's not it's massive. It's not huge. No, 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 no. It is huge. Uh, Starbucks, the company Starbucks plans for it in their budget every year. They plan for the amount that is, unpe- <laughs> that is unredeemed okay. balance on their gift cards. You're, you're talking macro scale right now. We're, but we're talking about giving it to the, you're talking about the gift giver and the gift receiver. It doesn't matter to them. That's the cost of doing business. It's a little convenience fee. Well, okay, well then what if I, okay, Luke, if I gave you. That's the, that's, this is that's insane. the convenience no. fee for being a bad gift giver. No. <laughs> you've got to, you've got to pay two extra dollars to remain on this card because you're a shitty gift giver. And, and that's, that's, I think, a good system. Oh, shoot. I actually kind of am coming around now to you here because I think this is a good penalty for somebody who's going to be a shitty gift giver and give a gift card to someone because it's like, yeah, sure, you spent $20 on this gift that you've given me, but I'm only going to redeem 18 of it. So really, you've only you've only given me a, a gift worth $18, even though you spent 20 It's the right. bad gift giver tax. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, I actually love this take. 
<laughs> I've th- and I've thought about this for years. For years, I've thought that gift cards are just like the biggest scam of all time. And I just, just give me cash. If you want to just give me money, write a nice note of where you think I should spend it and give me the green stuff. But like, this is a good penalty. I like this. Okay, I like this. Mm-hmm. Gift cards are great. <laughs> they tell you who your worst friends are. Exactly. We're pro. We're pro gift cards here. Send me, send me a gift card for some coffee. <laughs> Not Starbucks. Okay. Uh, let's get into it. Like I said, we finished sort of Kai Gen. Anything's fair game. We got some big. I don't think twists is the right word, but some big shifts. Yeah, the world has like changed in a significant way from the beginning of the book. Uh, first, we have to address this. Torden, chapter 23 was terrible. We all hated chapter 23. Uh, what the fuck was going on? Guys, they're just gonna... You're just gonna let them burn all the bodies of your like famous warriors. You're just gonna let them like pile everybody into a big old pit and light it on fire, and you're gonna do nothing about it. And <laughs> the funny thing about this chapter is that there were oh yeah, Luke. Tell us the times... funny thing. Tell us the funny thing about this chapter where they burned all the corpses <laughs> and made an unmarked grave. Tell us the funny. So thing. there. Were... There were two times. This is this is referencing Tordaniq's comment on our on our Reddit post from last week, mm-hmm. um, just about it being. I think he said that chapter twenty three made him angry, made him like okay. angry at this book. And I'm with okay, him. Right. I'm with him on this. Chapter twenty three made you. me very angry as well. <laughs> Thank you for the comment. Reminder to everyone to to send in comments. Uh, there were two times that I thought that that this was relevant. The first was actually when we learn that Misaki's dad could have had her marry the elder brother. Mary. She was like, no, I want the shitty one. <laughs> That's what I at first thought was the, was the, was the anger inducing one, um, which I don't know. It still might be because it made me mad a little bit. Uh, but my guess is that the mass grave and and not much of a pushback is probably realistically the the rough point of that chapter. Yeah, kind of a kind of a low, kind of a low point in most of this book where they just piled up all the corpses in a big old pile and they said you can't you can't do any fun prayers or anything. We're just going to burn them pretty bad like at luke at what point do you just say hey how about how about we like forget about this whole empire thing how about like sure like you say you want to do this that's fine no like where do you where is the benefit where how are you benefiting from this at all to keep going along with it you're saying how do the, like, you're, you're not talking about the empire. You're saying how do the families. Yeah, like when Takiru is like, uh, yep, whatever the emperor's will, we will do it. This is a good question. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand what the empire is. <laughs> because, like, most, I I feel like we get from the sense of this that most of the, like, military might 
comes from like eight families or something like that. Yeah. I mean, they're not they're not in the military, but uh, they like represent a very large portion of the military, like the empire's military abilities. I don't know where that what side of the uh, the fraction that is. Like, are these if these eight families team up? Are they are they able to win? Ooh. Do you think? Because I don't. We we don't see like the main part of the empire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It seems like the army is trash. Yeah, from everything we've heard, the army sounds like trash. I guess I just like if you're the empire and the or the emperor, and like your main barracks several main barracks just get absolutely crushed. And then there's like these eight families that also got attacked. They did a little bit better. Uh, hold on. I don't think you they like did a lot better. Risk they did a lot better. Them. They did a lot better. I don't think you're like, hey, you guys fucking suck. <laughs> hey, we're not going to give you any aid or money or anything. Good luck. Like I've, yeah. Keep being I, cool, I don't guys. Wanna... <laughs> I don't want to tell them how to run their empire, but I've got some notes. Like, okay, here's the crazy thing about this. The idea of a military, to me, implies that they're paying them to be warriors, right? Like, if I'm a colonel in the military of the Kaiganese Empire, I imagine I'm being paid a salary by the empire, to be a colonel. Like, that's why I'm a military person and not, like, a guy who works in the mayor's office that also swings a sword. Mm-hmm. So, like, the emperor has managed to brainwash these, like, extremely powerful families into doing whatever they want just because they're the emperor. And they don't pay them anything. Like, they don't... They just, like, don't mess with them. But they're like, you have to stand and fight because I'm the emperor and I say so. And yet... The emperor can't do that for these, like, rank-and-file military people. They have to, like, pay them to be in the military? It seems so backwards to me. Like, it seems completely backwards that you're relying on your propaganda to keep the most powerful warriors, like, fit and doing their combat and doing their training. And you're, like, paying the terrible people that aren't really, like, (laughs) worth that much. It seems backwards. Like you rely on the propaganda for the cannon fodder. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But the the thing that's also that's like you called them. You called the main military the cannon fodder, right? But at the beginning of this book, uh, uh, what's his name? I forget Quang? the the kid's the name. Quang guy. Quang. Yeah, he calls them. <laughs> the the Matsuda family or like the people in this mountain the cannon fodder so I <laughs> I guess it's just a matter of perspective Dan I guess they're all cannon fodder there's yeah. there are no cannons here which brings us back to a point we've talked about before get us some guns please <laughs> okay we're going off a little bit we're going off a little bit I just like I don't understand how like how in not insensitive but how they just don't care how apathetic the empire seems to be to these like families 
which are basically responsible for the empire existing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't understand the dynamic here. This is an unhealthy relationship, guys, and we need to, we need to look into this a little bit. Yeah, one thing that I think would be fun to see is if we can get a scene of our main, our main guys going into like the capital, mm. let's say. Mm-hmm. because we have seen them kind of in a setting amongst their own equals, right? Like, yes, in general, mm-hmm. I guess, where they're like super powerful, but you can't quite tell because they're fighting against other people that are super powerful. I feel like Takiro goes into the capital and just like, if he wants to, just like runs it. <laughs> He wa- you're saying he walks up to the emperor and is like, oh, you're actually not very tough. So I think it's my turn. Right. Like, I mean, it seems like, I mean, so when they, when all the generals come in, mm-hmm. I think Misaki is like, yeah, uh, Takiro is by far the most powerful people here or most, per- most powerful person here. Like he shakes hands with the, with the allied country leaders. Yeah. Just like the point of that so that they can see that he's like way better than everyone. <laughs> I would I throw your weight around a little bit. Yeah, but Luke, that's not honorable, you know. It's... I I also do think to a certain extent that they have a lot of loyalty to their their home and they have a mm-hmm. a lot tying to them them to that mountain. And so I don't know if necessarily they care about like running the empire or anything like that but i do imagine they want to be like safe on their mountain and so Mm -hmm. like the empire has shown its itself to not be keeping them safe anymore so like why are we even why are we even associating with them it's like it's like the emperor the empire is this like little scrawny kid who picks on the like the nicest member of the football team, the biggest, nicest member of the football team, but this little scrawny kid is like constantly poking at him. And then as soon as the kid like kind of like throws his weight around a little bit and starts to intimidate this little kid, he like gets his cousin in there. He's like, Ricky, get over here. And Ricky's like, I don't want to deal with like, <sighs> and Ricky slams a monster energy and just throws bows, starts throwing bows mm-hmm. at this big football player. <laughs> He, he fights with his elbows. Um. That's like, if I'm Ricky, I'm done. I don't want to like, you're putting me in harm's way. I have no problem with Gavin, the nice football player. Right. No one does. We love Gavin. The, <laughs> I like where you took us there. Uh, I No, I think that that's very fair. I, I'm curious about like taxes and services here. Mm-hmm. Because right now... Mm-hmm. There's, there's not much, like th- not many taxes coming from the mountain, mm-hmm. and there's some services going back, like some salaries, some teaching, some school stuff. Yeah. But I I wonder how what the what that ratio was before the incident. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, there's also non-monetary value that we're forgetting. 
And I think a big part of that is like security, right? They're they're like mm-hmm. a big part of keeping the empire safe. But also apparently the blacksmiths that came from that village were like renowned across the empire and like some of the best metal workers around. And so I don't think that this place is necessarily like very valuable in terms of like economic, like dollars and cents. Like I don't think they're exporting a valuable mineral or anything like that. But I feel like they've got a lot of a lot of uh, people potential. Okay. And their, so, cap- their capital comes in their labor. Exactly. Exactly. They've got specialized a specialized labor force that is only found here, but grants immense value I, I, to the empire. Right. But the, this, I guess what I'm saying here is that if they, if they want to like be done with the imp- empire, I feel like financially they might not be super well off. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe, but I can't imagine there's like that much coming in. Like we see as they're starting to rebuild that they need these schools and stuff up and running to get money from the empire. But, like, they ran their own, like, sword fighting schools. And sure, they were kind of in decline because everyone was like, oh, there's not going to be a war. But now that there is a war, I feel like maybe, you know, you can do a little better. You can stand up on your own a little bit. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. it's a college town now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's exactly. It's a college town now. <laughs> Somebody, yeah, <laughs> this is so true. Misaki's opening up like a little restaurant, a little hip restaurant. <laughs> That's this actually is turning into a college town. I love that. Um, <laughs> but okay, that that could be a fair point. That perhaps they like they did rely on the empire a little bit financially, but like I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. I think they they may have become dependent on on money but like you know their fishing industry is fine as long as they have people there we talked about this last episode we're not going to go into it we're not going to go into it. but they have great fishing techniques so they're going to great fishing techniques i gotta think that their expenses aren't that high no (laughs) they're like constantly repairing their kimonos like i imagine they make like one purchase on amazon a year Mm -hmm. and they're like Mm, I really love <laughs> just a ton of yarn. They could do everything else with the water. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Um, <laughs> okay, can we move on a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I, there is a scene after the government has said that they're going to burn all the bodies. And after they burn all the bodies in this unmarked grave where there is this like rebellion that almost happens with all the women of the village and they're like hey how come we're letting this happen this seems kind of fucked and misaki's like you know what you're right it is pretty fucked and i just love how this is all happening like in the dojo like they put all the women and children in the dojo of the mitsuda house because it's the it's the biggest room there and it's the only one that's like left standing And this is like 
now become this secret conspiring place for all the women of the village when before this big disaster happened misaki was like i am not even allowed in the dojo right now oh and she like couldn't even pass the threshold but now we've just like completely blown it open and the women are all in there like hey should we tear down the government oh i think (laughs) we might want to tear down this government guys what do you think you're, you're saying you're saying the dojo goes through a big character arc here. The dojo transforms in a major way, and I love it. <laughs> I think that that's I, that's definitely true. Big transition from the dojo, and then goes back, and then we were, and then we're back to a school, a successful and like promising school. And then, do you it think- went from Takiro beating up his son, <laughs> and. And then it moved to a little, a little um, women conspiring zone, <laughs> and then back to a productive school. Big arc here. Hold on, when you say back to a productive school, you don't mean like Mamoru getting beat up by his dad as part of a productive <laughs> no, no, no. school, right? No, 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 no. It's not a three sixty. We're not coming back to starting point. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. I liked it. I did. Um, Speaking of character arcs, mm, we got to. Takiro, Takiro goes through a major change here. Um, it's it's tough for me because, like, on the one side, I'm not gonna just be like, "Oh yeah, Takiro's fine now," and we like him. Right? You can't be. We can't be that. <laughs> so I have two notes here. One of this is like, I like that he changed, but still major qualms. And a little bit later, it's like, God damn it, I like Takiru now. <laughs> okay, this in every, I think of every book that we have read so far, this might be the most dramatic and satisfying character change that we have ever seen. The only other one that I think comes even close could be Glockta in the blade itself Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. and and glockta doesn't go through even that huge of a change it's just we like i like i felt a big change in glockta and that felt huge from who he was before to who he was at the end of the book takiru is like on another level takiru went from like we hated him like one of the most hated characters that i think we have read to like oh he's actually kind of a dope guy Ooh, and like yes we still have to have a little bit of qualms with takiru and i think i think even misaki's like it's not going to be overnight that this change Mm -hmm. happens like misaki's like this is going to be a long process but like the takiru that we see at the end of this book great dude top 10 dude i think (laughs) okay yes that's definitely true um here here's my here's my take on it at this point at the end of the book i like don't want i it's just it's just a happier existence for me to just like like him right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like i don't want to have to when i'm reading it i just want to be like okay sweet takira's awesome here he's crushing it he's he's got a plan and everything he seems awesome. Um, I don't really want to have to think about how he's uh, been a garbage human for 99% of his life. 
so I'm 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 pushing that behind me right. for the for the last section of this book, and I'm just and I'm just team Takiro for the last section. Yes. However, in uh, you know in a however many years, Takiro dies. Mm. My I you've got to I'm I'm supporting that think piece that is like actually he wasn't that great. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm supporting that think piece that like weighs all of the flaws you're saying the revisionist history when we go back and look at it down the road after we're out of the actual events of the story that are happening and we take and we weigh pros cons you're you're like oh actually i know at the later end everybody was super hype on him but like oh you can't forget about that early stuff right right okay i think legacy legacy for takiro you gotta keep it but for just like just like enjoyment of of current situation mm-hmm. i'm fine with ignoring it see i i don't know though i i think it's important to acknowledge that but i feel like the biography has to be a little bit more in depth because we get like a pretty compelling explanation for why takiru is the way that he is and it's not like there's never like a selfish motive anywhere in that like Takiru doesn't act the way that he acts because he just like hates his wife and doesn't want to deal with her or like because he doesn't want to put him up the energy to show any emotion. He like has his own trauma that he has been dealing with throughout this whole book. So like, yes, obviously that does not like excuse him beating his child. Uh, bad. Bad regardless of what you did in the past. Like, don't do that. But I think when looking at a legacy, it's important to be like, hey, so let's start at the beginning. When Takira was a boy, uh, his dad liked to hit him a lot. And then he grew up and he, you know, he wasn't the greatest. He may have been following in some of those trends for a little while. And then he had this transformation where his wife beat his ass and he came, he snapped <laughs> out of it. So I feel like, like, yes, definitely Takiro is not like the hero of this story. But I, I feel like uh, if you're going to write the history, it needs to be nuanced. There, you, I feel like if you just say like, yeah, overall, he did more bad stuff than good stuff. You're forgetting the part that he's like a human who had some bad shit happen to him. You know what I mean? Okay, yes, I do know what you mean. Um, but I feel like, okay, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Takiro's past that explains some of the bad like characteristics that we've seen mm-hmm. and it doesn't erase those bad things but it it like tempers them a little bit mm-hmm. but i also think that there's some bad characteristics that are like that you can't just necessarily put on his okay. like, childhood trauma okay yeah yeah, yeah. Like, like what and, and maybe this is the, uh like it's hard for me to tell because you know we obviously don't have a complete story right but even though he was maybe not maybe treating misaki like coldly not out of like selfishness or whatever he was still like a huge dick to her like sure he the ignoring like he 
you know, didn't pay a lot of attention to her. Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe you can temper a little bit with his past. But like other things, he was a huge dick. <laughs> you know what I mean? This Ooh, ooh, yes. I think we're getting into the revisionist history right now because thinking about it, he was pretty sexist for like most of the book. Like he had these pretty rigid gender roles for women. And like that, I don't think you can necessarily blame that on your dad being an asshole. Like I feel like your rigid gender roles that you've conceived aren't like a product of your dad. And the switch that it happens, because, like, he does change. And at the end, he seems much more egalitarian with, like, him and his wife's role. And he wants to include her in things. But he doesn't get there because he's like, oh, you know what? Women are, like, equal to men. And I think that just, like, we should treat them as equals because they inherently are equal to us. He gets there because his wife beats his ass. And he's like, oh, she's a good warrior, so I should respect her. No, wrong message that you took from that, Takiru. The message is not, I respect my wife uh, as an equal human because she's able to destroy me in a sword fight if she wants to. The message is, I respect my wife as a human, as an equal human being because she's an equal human being. <laughs> so like, I get that we got there, but I think the way we got there was completely wrong. Right. I think here's the thing. There's there's a long story of Takiro being a huge dick mm-hmm. and just like a bad person overall. Mm-hmm. Takiro is handing us an eraser, right? With his with his little like uh, kind of explanation for why he's the way he is. But that eraser is not big enough to erase everything. Okay, we're running out. We're running out of eraser. It's just that's just a little mechanical pencil. It's not a it's not a high quality Ticonderoga eraser. We'd we'd love a sponsorship, guys. We would absolutely <laughs> love one. Um, yeah, I agree with you actually on this. I think he there definitely is good explanation for a lot of the shitty behavior that he had. There's a lot of like good human complexity that describes his like behavior but a lot of it also just comes down to like yo you probably should have like rebelled against your society a little sooner than you did like these this stuff isn't cool and like that didn't have anything to do with your dad so right yeah maybe maybe chill on the like (laughs) pity party for takiru for sure for sure. Uh, okay. But I will um, say, I will say, before we leave Takiru, because we're going to have to leave him for a little while, uh, amazing Poe for the future. Takiru <laughs> has incredible potential, and I think we don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> I love that you used, used Poe as a thing that we say to each other, but no one on the podcast has ever heard. Well, they do now. They've heard it now. Uh, so, so we don't know what the history is going to look like for Takiru, right? Uh-huh. We don't know. Uh-huh. Maybe he cures cancer. <laughs> Doesn't seem like the scientist type, but who's to say? Seems to have a very methodical mind. He's... <laughs> that <laughs> actually speaks to something 
that I want to talk about briefly. It transitions so well. So, <laughs> Misaki is taking her son, like, Izumi or Izuki out into the forest. Or to this, this new forest that's growing over the grave. You're, you're talking her, her youngest. Her youngest son. And mm-hmm. he sits down on the ground and is, like, staring at an ant for, like, ten minutes. And Misaki is like, hey, my kid doesn't understand ants, so I th- I'm pretty sure he's a genius, guys. <laughs> Misaki's like, hey, my kid stares at stuff for a long time. Pretty sure he's a genius. <laughs> this is a two-year-old, by the way, that she is like, this kid's smart. This kid's got yeah. it figured out. <laughs> This is such a bold take. And I get it. She's his parent. And all parents are going to think that their kids are like super special. But like your kid doesn't understand how ants work. I don't think that makes them a genius. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with you. Um, I think that Misaki is. Oh, okay, so first off. I think that this kid is going to grow up with a lot of pressure. <laughs> right. So true. Because it seems like, it seems like <laughs> he might not be very good at sword fighting and the whole ice thing. But Misaki's like, okay, but he's going to make up for it by being a freaking genius. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough when he comes home with a B minus in his algebra class. Because that's the only thing that she's expecting from him. <laughs> He's going to come up with that B minus and Misaki's just going to give him like the most soul crushing, disappointed look where it's like, it's like everything was riding on this and he might not have even known it. But as soon as he shows it to Misaki and she's like, oh, shoot, I made a dumb one, too. <laughs> I made a dumb one. That's just going to crush him forever. <laughs> It's like, Misaki, he seems really nice. He could be just a delightful person. That could be his good thing. He doesn't have to be a genius. Maybe he's just lovely. You love uh, Setsuko, your sister-in-law. Yeah, maybe he's just like the funniest kid. He's the goof. He's the biggest goofball. And everybody laughs when he's around. And he has the biggest heart, you know? And he's apparently, like, the only one on the mountain that's not just freezing cold. So he gives great hugs. Best hugger in the game. And that should be enough. That should be enough for you, Misaki. Come on, Misaki. Okay, this is a, this is a later note, but it transitions well. Um, speaking of kids that are going to need some therapy. Yes, <laughs> dude, I have this exact same note. I have this exact same We're- note. We're calling this kid the wind child. Yeah, what the fuck, guys? <laughs> and we're just going to be like, yeah, he's... Is it? I don't remember if it's a boy or a girl. Uh, I think it's a girl. Okay. We're just going to be like, she's <laughs> terrifying. Let's treat her like a normal kid. Let's give her a name. <laughs> I love... Don't call her the wind child. I love... psychos. <laughs> and I love how, like honorable misaki is pretending to be and like these two warriors come up and are like we gotta kill this kid b 
because they're going to be a disaster for our village. And Misaki's like, no, how dare you try and kill this child? Uh, we're going to send it to that orphanage and everybody's going to point fingers at it when it walks by as the wind child. And that thing is going to look insane, but it will be a reminder to all of us of the crazy shit that happened here. That's why we're going to keep this child and how we're going to treat the child. So don't you dare touch it. It's mother wanted better. (laughs) The entirety of that child purpose is to remind us about the devastation that happened to our community that is it we are not going to treat it like a human at all send it to the orphanage with all the other children <laughs> yes Put it on display <laughs> have it wander the mountain <laughs> no i'm not gonna adopt that kid what are you, what are you crazy that's a ranganese kid they're insane <laughs> put it in the orphanage god that that kid is going to have a tough time. <laughs> and the kid also has a scar. Imagine the conversation that the kid has when they get old enough to talk and they understand what scars are and how they get them. And they go up to Misaki and they're like, hey, Auntie Misaki, uh, I have this scar on my neck. I've had it for my whole life, but I don't know what it is. What's the deal? And Auntie Misaki goes, oh, Let me tell you the story, wind child. Your mother, (laughs) your mother loved you so much. Hang on, you're forgetting forgetting one other question that the kid is going to ask before this story Uh, comes out. Okay, yeah, yeah, what's the question? Uh, Why does everyone cry when they see me? Oh, yeah, she walks up to Auntie Misaki and says, Auntie Misaki, please stop crying. I have to ask you a question. It's just like the normal first thing that that the wind child says to everyone in this village is they start with, hello, name, please stop crying. I'd like to ask you a question. (laughs) And so they come up to Auntie Misaki, who's bawling her eyes out. And they're like, hey, Auntie Misaki, uh, why do I have this scar? And Auntie Misaki stops crying for five minutes and says, well, your mother loved you so much that she pulled out a knife and almost (laughs) cut your head off but she didn't (laughs) but she did it and she let you live isn't that just the greatest story wind child now go back to the top of the mountain (laughs) i can't get over every time we call her wind child oh man this kid needs therapy (laughs) This kid needs intensive therapy. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't feel good about it. Um, I'm assuming. So I, okay, let's. So there's going to be a sequel here. There is the there is the buildup where the the wind child's father is like the most powerful person of all time. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but uh, I gotta think that we're getting. We're getting Windchild is giving giving off major main character vibes for the next book. I feel that. I feel that a lot. We've, Spe- got, we've got a scar. We've got different from everybody. Um named the Windchild. <laughs> you're saying there's some Naruto vibes, is what you're getting at. Yeah. This thing's got some Naruto vibes. Definitely true. Definitely true. Either that or it's the villain. 
or like Misaki is essentially creating a self-fulfilling prophecy where everyone's like, hey, the Ranganese are evil. And if we let this child live, it's going to to turn on us eventually. And Misaki's like, no, 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 no. It definitely won't. Just like abuse it for its whole life and it'll be just fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I I don't care if it's the villain. I'm rooting for the wind child. Like if the wind child ends up to be a bad person, like, yeah, <laughs> you guys freaking mentally abused her for years and called her the wind child. <laughs> That's on you. Get your vengeance, Windchild. <laughs> yeah, I'm Team Windchild regardless. Okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I'm into that. I'd be Team Windchild too, as a main character in, in a future in a future book. <laughs> speaking of speaking of something that's definitely coming into a future book, this scene at the end where Robin is kind of talking about what happened when that kid was stolen and how there's this, like, essentially warlord that's creating an army of child soldiers out in the world. This this seems very much like it's setting up for the next story. Like, this seems very much like this is going to be a big bad in the next series. Especially, you know, we mm-hmm. get the hints that Robin's like, Hey, in 13 years, those kids are all going to grow up and, oh, man, it's going to be a dangerous fighting force. Uh, Right. But, like, in terms of practicality, if I'm trying to make an army, I feel like going around and kidnapping children from all over the world with the hope that they, like, grow up and join my army and are super powerful, maybe not, like, the greatest play like obviously from a moral standpoint it's reprehensible sure whatever but from a practical standpoint like you do have to like raise all those kids and like right that's a lot of kids that you have to raise like if we're talking an army luke and not just like a little brigade not just like a crime fighting organization if we're trying to make an army this is hundreds of children Mm-hmm. okay daycare is already completely unacceptably priced way overpriced oh, for, for sure. daycare there is no way one person has the resources to care for like 300 children right right you've got to you've got to hire you've got to send them out of daycare you've got to start college funds for all of them uh you've got to get them you've you got to pay for summer camps gotta pay for all the summer camps all the field trips that they're taking mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. if every one of your kid comes to you and asks for five dollars for lunch on the school field trip uh suddenly you're out thousands of dollars <laughs> plus plus uh you know you got to reward them every time they get an a with a milkshake that's another you know obviously they're not all getting a's but that's pretty expensive every time report cards come around. Yeah, but Luke, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If they're not all getting A's, why do you have them? He was, the, the whole thing was that they were trying to go around and find these like super kids wherever they could and pick them out. So like the ones that aren't getting A's, I feel like you've got to replace them now. Like you have to find a replacement <laughs> kid for these kids that aren't yeah. pulling their weight. And so you're giving milkshakes mm-hmm. to like 
90% of these kids. That's true. And you know, if you're trying to develop like special talent in these kids, you have to send them to like accelerated learning programs. You can't just like, like if you really want to develop these abilities, you can't just send them through the mainstream school system. We all know that's not necessarily how you like, like how you nurture an excelling student, especially at an early age. Like it's insane. This strategy is bogus, completely bogus. Plus, how many copies of Harry Potter can you buy? Well, Luke, you just buy one. They're all the same age. You just buy one. They're all the same age. And then they pass it around. Oh my gosh, that's Can you imagine? So by the time, by the time the last kid finishes reading Sorcerer's Stone, the first one has got uh, Deathly Hallows all done. And they just pass it down the line. It's tough. It's pretty tough to be at the end of the line when you hear all the spoilers from all your siblings, but uh, that's the bricks, I guess. Okay, also, related related to this mysterious figure that Robin apparently fought, and I think is the one that's capturing all these kids to make an army, Robin is like, hey, is blood puppetry real? And Misaki's like, uh, absolutely not. That's a myth. There's no way in hell it's real. And Robin's like, try it. And Misaki's like, okay, but it's for sure not real, but I'll try it. And then Misaki tries it and it like kind of works. How, how has nobody ever tried this before? How, how did we go so quickly? From something being completely mytho- mythological and impossible to like, oh yeah, it worked like the first try. Okay, now that you're saying, okay, I totally, I totally agree with you. Um, it but, worked first try. She didn't even have I'm to a- like go through a training montage. <laughs> she was just like, yeah, let me see. I'm gonna give you a micro theory. Is what I'm gonna call this. Ooh, okay, yeah, a little micro theory. <laughs> Robin cannot has terrible blood control. <laughs> like, <laughs> you could try it on anyone else and it's not working. But Robin just struggles. You're, you're saying Robin has the special, like, anti-power where he can't control his blood. Robin is just really susceptible to... Okay, you know, because it's like, you know, everyone has weaknesses, mm-hmm. Right. Lightning beats water, fire beats grass. Uh, Robin, <laughs> Robin's very weak to blood magic. So you're saying Robin's blood is just kind of sloshing around in there, waiting it's for any. Waiting, it's waiting. Very low, very low blood pressure. <laughs> and you're saying you could like breathe on Robin's hand, and his blood would like freeze up. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> um. I, I don't know if that's the exact effect that I'm thinking of, uh-huh. but I but I do think that he's uh, he's struggling a little bit. Okay, he gets you know like when he when he sits down in a weird position, he gets the pins and needles like like boom. You're saying when Robin stands up too quickly after sitting down for too long, he passes out. Oh yeah, every time. Every time. Okay. He's got to be very careful. Okay, I 
I could buy this. I I feel like in the past we've seen instances where Robin gets like cut and beat up and stabbed and his blood doesn't all just like completely pour out of him super quickly like I imagine blood would do if it was just sloshing around in there. But, you know, often I'm the one coming up with the theories. So I'm more than happy to to kind of throw you a bone here and say maybe. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, I will say one note that we that I that I've kept that I haven't mentioned yet. Um, I think that there are some liberties taken with uh, the use the like water and blood usage that Misaki and her brother get out of it. But I am here for it. Okay, because they make Misaki incredible. She can just she can control her blood really well and is now a superhero. Yes, please. Yes, because at the I think episode one, I was like, damn, it sucks that Misaki's uh, past her prime and we're not going to see her her crushing it that much. Boom, here we go. Now she's got uh, she's been taking her iron supplements and her blood's really powerful and yeah, makes her. Uh, <laughs> whatever (laughs) okay i am with you on this i was very hype about it but the whole like i was kind of sucked out of it by the fact that like you've got to like train your blood vessels a little bit right you can't just all of a sudden be yanking your blood vessels around willy-nilly like your body's not used to the force coming from inside your blood vessels like i would agree with you there. like those things are gonna be moving around a lot if you're just yanking on them you know what i mean like like i imagine if you pull too hard you get like blood vessels coming out of your skin like your body doesn't necessarily follow along with it it's just the blood vessels kind of keep going and then you're in trouble okay i imagine it's gotta hurt too right like because here's the thing is they're not just they're not just like using it to help a little bit. There's like a lot of force it feels like they're putting on the inside of their blood vessels. Like I imagine that would hurt. I have no idea how the human body works, but like I imagine there's got to be a little bit of pain from like yanking on the inside of your blood vessels to like <laughs> I I don't even know what that would feel like. Okay, yes, but you're you're forgetting uh, our little example that apparently it also makes you not really feel pain that much because uh, Misaki's brother mm-hmm. has had a broken arm for like a week mm-hmm. and because of his blood control, it's fine. Therefore, uh, everything's fixed. <laughs> Checkmate Dan. Okay, I will... S- here's, the, here's my theory, actually, now that I... Now that I um when they say blood and they can control blood they just mean like all of the water in your body Mm -hmm. okay right okay because there's there's tons of water in our muscle cells Mm -hmm. tons of water in all of our cells um luke at some point we're gonna run into the same problem (laughs) because because then you're like your bones are not gonna be pulled like, I, I don't think there's quite as much blood in your bone. Ooh, actually, this isn't true. There's a lot of blood in your bone. 
Okay, at the very least, you've got to be getting a lot of, like, skin rug burn as your skin is just being yanked around. <sighs> okay, forget it. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard because your muscles are already <laughs> doing that. I'm stupid. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe they're just manipulating all of the fluid in your body, in their bodies. Okay. Yeah, I'd buy that. Okay, that's... <laughs> That's what we're that's what we're concluding. We're very here for it though. I think regardless of the practicality, we're very here for Misaki and her brother being able to do this incredible technique with their with their blood and get like mm -hmm. cool fighting superpowers. Very here for it. Luke, were you as excited as I was when Misaki announced she was opening up a restaurant? <laughs> I was. I was very excited. We have been, we always, like anytime there's magic, want to see some cool non-fighting uses of magic. I love that Misaki took our notes from last episode and was like, we need to open up a restaurant up here and get things going on. We need some tourism. Takira was like, we need to up our tourism. Let's get a restaurant going on. I am here for it. I love mm -hmm. it. This is exactly what I wanted out of this book. ML Wang, outstanding job with the restaurant opening up. <laughs> I gotta know though, Luke. For sure. What what's Misaki's signature dish at this place? Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. what dish just embodies Misaki and her like style and ability? Okay. That's a good question. Hmm. I feel like, I kind of feel like baked Alaska is a pretty good way to go. Okay. Because Misaki's very like hot and cold. She's got this thing for Robin, but she's also got this thing for Takiru now. So here she has the opportunity to kind of like combine the two into one dish. And like, it's her little secret Easter egg for everybody. Like they don't know that Misaki's like, into the hot and the cold you know but right like, right but they, they can experience what she feels by getting a little getting a little taste of this baked alaska okay okay baked alaska i like it i was i was thinking when you when you mentioned that maybe a little like fried ice cream see you were kind of on the um, same page kind of on the same page but what we are forgetting and this isn't necessarily something that matches her like personality but we're not thinking big enough. We're not taking into account Misaki's blood control abilities. Ooh. Okay. Here's the here's the thing. There's I don't know a lot about this. So let's put that in there. I don't I think people listening to this show don't really need that, but go ahead. <laughs> This is going to, um, assuming that we're not vegetarians here, mm -hmm. which we are not, yeah, I got to think that there's got to be a little, a little meat preparation techniques that Misaki can be developing here, right? Ooh. Like an old Susano recipe for uh, just the tenderest steak. They raise their own cows, manipulate that blood a little bit. Oh my get gosh. The, get the 
it's like the it's like the like pinnacle of kobe beef right where you with like mm-hmm. kobe beef you have people that are going around like massaging the cows and stuff like mm-hmm. this you do it from the inside masaki right you're like massaging a cow from their blood and then when you're oh dude this is like this is genius by the way i know if i wasn't a vegetarian this would be like the pinnacle you you were questioning me a minute ago this is genius luke it's like it's gotta be like the best steak of all time right Mm -hmm. nasaki is known for the greatest cut of beef in the land and we talked about this. We talked about this last episode. She's got the sous vide going on. It's too bad she didn't ask Robin to stay to get that quick sear, but I imagine you can do something. They have fire, right? They have fire. <laughs> they, do, they do have fire, I assume. <laughs> and it just provides an opportunity for Robin to make a comeback. Like it's one That's of those true. it's one of those exclusive restaurants where like you make reservations right and occasionally they have like a guest chef in the kitchen and Mm -hmm. so you're going more for the reputation of the restaurant rather than like a specific dish that you like like you know whenever you go there's going to be a new thing that the chef has been working on Mm -hmm. but it's like always good always good and plus we're forgetting we're forgetting our smiths that are building the most perfect oven Think of the grill. Think of the grill crafted by these ancient swordsmiths. Oh, it's got to be fantastic. It's incredible. The sear, the sear is off the charts. Sear's off the charts. You've got, you've got, um, probably making some great naan. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Okay. You need a special, you need a special oven for naan. A great pizza oven. I'm I'm thinking tons of ovens. Uh, all for different purposes. You could do you could do tons of stuff here. That one over there is the pizza oven. That one's the sword <laughs> oven. Don't put anything in there, please. It's for swords only. The rest of them, eh, pizza ovens. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, big. We're I'm expecting big things out of this restaurant. Is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, I think we all are. I think we all are, and we're excited for it. We're here for it. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get into some some reviews on the book. Mm-hmm. I'll, go, I'll go first. Um, I am big fan. I especially I think I think this last third tied it all together really well. Um, the the first the first two thirds were were good and like pretty interesting. Um, but I think the last third pulled together these like little personality, like surprise personality things, um, some different character development, not just for Takiru. Um, and I think that this is, I, I, I feel like I've talked about this in other reviews on the book or other reviews on previous books. I, I, I love a character focused book. And I definitely think that this was that. Like, I feel like the the story was kind of like a framework to put a like study on Misaki and Takiru and like I don't know a whole complicated like motherhood and and like oppressive culture 
like focus on some characters. And I think that this last third did that really well. And um, I don't know. I really, I really liked that of like going for, for more emotional things rather than like sword battles. Like obviously it had that and I love that in other books as well. But I liked the I liked the change of pace a little bit to be more of a uh I don't know, like character and family focused like case study almost. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think I I didn't like it as much as you might have the first two thirds. Uh like I thought the first two thirds were fine. I was definitely interested, but I didn't think it was like great. But the last third of this book like tied it all together so well that it like really elevated this book for me. Like it took this book from like a meh to like a this is a great book. Like I think this book is outstanding. Um Yeah, I think this book is outstanding. Uh I think it feel it felt very satisfying at the end. Like I felt very satisfying even though like it ended with this like horrible tragedy that happened with this village getting decimated. It felt, it still felt like a happy ending to me because it felt like the way we saw these characters grow from the beginning to the end was really positive and hopeful. And it also felt very realistic. Like a lot of what Misaki's like complicated emotions were, it didn't feel like they were changing spontaneously just to make it happy at the end like it seems like a lot of these characters had to struggle to get this like satisfying and happy ending and it's still complicated right like misaki is still in love with like robin and she has now developed love for takiru and she recognizes that she has like both of these feelings and this is just like you know like part of who she is um and i think it's just that like complexity in the characters that realistic depiction of like human relationships and how like we don't necessarily know everything that's going on with other people and there's a lot more complexity there than we might originally think and i think how that was like how that kind of like bloomed at the end of the story is incredibly satisfying um and for me yeah for me this ending was great this is a happy ending uh I loved it. This book is great. Definitely recommend it. So nice. We're into it. We're into it. We are into it. Also love that they took our advice about this restaurant. Another big plus. Um, but yeah, I'm actually, I'm really excited to see uh, the next book that comes out. I think uh, mm-hmm. I'll definitely be, be reading it. Um, we might even do it on the pod. Might even do it on the pod. Really, I'm really excited to see how the wind child develops. <laughs> I think we all are. I think we all are. So that that's going to wrap up our discussion on the Sword of Kai Gen. For next week, Luke and I have been talking about maybe changing things up a little bit. Uh, and so next week, Luke and I are each going to write some poetry and then we will uh probably on uh tuesday before the episode comes out we will post our poetry in our social media channels 
you can go ahead and read that those poems maybe go at it with a pencil for a little bit and then on thursday we'll we'll share our poems with each other and we'll have an episode about about the poems that we've written um yeah yeah so we're looking forward to that it's, it's something a little different than we've done in the past but uh you know maybe try it out try it out yeah yeah a little different should be fun um and then i'll give we'll give it we'll give uh, more of a heads up on the on the episodes after that i'm sure some of you know the new cradle book is coming out i believe it's october 6th we are planning to do to record an episode before it comes out um and so that episode will mostly be based on us discussing theories uh probably a lot of theories from you guys if you're if you're able to to send some in on one of our social media channels reddit twitter or facebook are the are the main ones we'll we'll post on all of those asking for some theories and then we'll uh we'll take we'll take them let's see are we gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh examine them under the microscope we're gonna examine them that closely episode. and we're talking we would love to get some theories about things that are gonna happen in winter steel because we'd like to kind of talk about those before the book comes out and things are either proven or disproven so if you've got mm-hmm. any theories about things that are going to happen in this next book send us your evidence send us your theory we're going to take a close look at it. If you've got any predictions, if you've got any wild out of the blue predictions for stuff that's going to happen, send us that too. Why not? I'll take a look. I'll yeah. read it. We'll t- <laughs> definitely. Definitely. So yeah, keep keep an eye out for that. Should be fun. And then we'll be doing a couple episodes on Winter Steel when it comes out. We can we can figure out who, who was right. That's right. Maybe we'll... Uh... We'll even offer up uh, an incredible grand prize, Luke, like the ability to kill one single human being at the end of at the end of everything. Doesn't that sound like a great prize? I think so. I think so. Yeah. That's Everyone a... wants that. <laughs> Everyone secretly just has the desire to kill. I think that's true. I think that's true deep down. Well, Luke, Sword of Kaigen, great book. Great book. And true true to my my character's namesake from this book i think we've had we've had some hot takes and unlike a lot of characters in this book we've definitely been some dumb nerds 